Bon von nu. Ein, zwei, drei. Vad heter ni inte latte? Ichi nisan. Undi tua. One, two, three. Hello. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, a podcast in which we discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter. And today we are discussing chapter 13 of The Horse and His Boy. This chapter is titled The Fight at Anvard. I am the bolt of tash that falls from above. Also known as Kristen. And this is my co-host. Dare. Or is it Dar? I'm one of those. Also known as Chris. I think it's Dar because his brother is Darren. I thought it was Darren. Maybe Darren. Maybe you're Dare. Maybe. Dare sounds cooler. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Are you Truth? Or are you Dare? (laughs) All right. So today we're discussing Chapter 13 of The Fight at Anvard. We are in Southern California in a fire area. We are being covered in smoke. Um, No current risk to us. However, we are near one of the local airports and they are flying in a lot of water um, tanks and things like that. So if you hear extra plane noise in this episode, it it is, there's extra plane activity due to the local fires. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Sorry, we're, 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 we'll do what we can, like usual, to minimize that uh, content in, of the airplane sounds in the episode, but uh, there is more activity than usual. So just a heads up, if you hear some planes throughout the episode, that's probably why. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the anti-penultimate chapter. Not. Welcome to the anti-penultimate chapter. Anti. Anti, yes. Not anti. I, I know. I get it. Uh, I, get, I corrected it, myself. I, no, I was confused. Uh, the antepenultimate chapter, which is a fun new word that I learned. Uh-huh. Uh, this is the third from the last chapter of the book. Uh, only got three chapters to wrap up this entire storyline. We do. We're getting there. We're almost through this book. We are. Should we get started with our summaries? Sure. Before we jump right in? I, uh, absolutely. Okay. Um, Hi. So, <laughs> as we go through the chapters, we will, uh, each of us individually, will collect a sampling of sentences from throughout the chapter in order to try to summarize the chapter using sentences plucked out of the context of the chapter. So, with that said, um, Chris, you should probably do your summary first since we have you doing your uh, wrap-up parts second. Sure, why not? I mean, this is what we've been doing for this entire chap, yeah. this entire book. Yeah, so, kind of. So I've been trying sense. to for this entire book. <laughs> you mean you want to introduce consistency to our listeners? No, I don't want to introduce <laughs> it to them. I just want to introduce it to the podcast so that the listeners can be, you know... I see. All right. Benefiting from this experience. All right. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and do my summary. Go Here for it. it. Here it goes. Do the thing. They had topped a low ridge now, and below them the whole scene suddenly opened out, a little, many-towered castle with its gate toward them. It seemed to Shasta only a second before the whole line of the enemy were on horseback again, 
wheeling round to meet them, swinging toward them. The Calarmines were utterly defeated. Strong hands. Strong hands wrenched rabbit ashes. This is the problem when I read th write things that I myself cannot read. Yep. That's how terrible my handwriting is. That's, that's how <laughs> terrible you let it be. Uh-huh. Strong hands wrenched Rabidash's sword from him, and he was carried away into the castle, shouting, threatening, cursing, and even crying. And still Shasta could not understand why everyone stared at him and at Corin, nor what all the cheering was about. There you go. I don't mm. think we chose any sentences in common this Whoa. time. I'm not certain, but I don't think we do. I'm kind of surprised by that. We're going cray. Here's my summary. Mm-hmm. When they had crossed the neck of the pass and come a good deal lower, they reached more open ground, and from here Shasta could see all Arkenland, blue and hazy, spread out below him, and even, he thought, a hint of the desert beyond it. But Rabidash has reformed his line and has a hundred men in the saddle. The giants are closing in on the right, cats on the left, King Loon from their rear. The Calarmines are utterly defeated. At that moment, Corin ran up to Shasta, seized his hand, and started dragging him towards King Loon. Okay. Uh, yes, we did choose a sentence in common. They the Calarmines are utterly defeated. Okay, I feel like yeah. I, you, when you read it, you when I got to it, I, I was like, oh yeah, that's the sentence in common. Correct. Um, anyway, let's dive into this chapter. Hey, things happen here. It's an action. Gosh. It's an action-packed chapter. Um, it's also a really weirdly done in a narrative way. Yes. It, this is a this, this is, chapter is told from Shasta's perspective for a while. And then, you know, well, if we were going to tell this battle from Shasta's perspective, you wouldn't see very much of it. So then we jump back to the hermit and his seeing pool, which allows him to see what is presently happening in other parts of the land without yeah. any sound. Mm -hmm. So he is then conveying to Bree and Huynh and Erebus, who cannot see, but dimly and foggily, foggily in this pool, what's going on. They, can't, they can just see that there's something happening, but they can't see what. And yeah. so the, the hermit is then telling us the story in, an, in a first... In a present, like, present tense, Rabidash has done this, and the Calarmines are utterly defeated, mm -hmm. and stuff like that, as he's telling the story of what's happening in the battle. And then we just transition back into Shasta again, like, without saying, and now back to Shasta. It's just like, suddenly Shasta's now the character again. Yeah, um, but before we get into, you know, why that is, and, you know, arguing their merits of whether or not it's actually a good way to write a chapter, which I don't think it is. Spoilers. I, um, I think it does a, a good thing to include Erebus and Quinn and Bree again. Yeah, like, Yeah, they could have just been there. Uh, anyway, that's that's going to be my wrap-up uh, cattiness. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, let's we start out with uh, Shasta and Corrin riding the battle. They're right behind the giants. You know, so you know, nobody at front can see them because they're not supposed to be there. But they're, uh, they're tagging along, uh, and they're having a little chat on the way, and they're relaying stories to each other, and, you know, Corrin's telling Shasta about, you know, the players and the powers that be, and, you know... Where's Queen Season? Where's Queen Season? I mean, she's not like Lucy, you know. 
who's as good as a man, or at any rate, as good as a boy. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. See, I liked Corin so much. I like, <laughs> you know, I like him too. He is a little bit of a punk right there. But we also, within the same chapter, and Corin isn't hearing this, have Queen Lucy asking Edmund, where is that goose cap prince? Uh-huh. Which, as you looked up for me, uh-huh. is all is is a word that's often used to describe a silly girl, uh-huh. and so it's just it's funny because we've got Queen Lucy being like, "Where's that silly prissy little boy?" Uh-huh. Uh, and then Prince Corn's like, "Oh yeah, Queen Lucy's good as a man, at least as good as a boy," <laughs> and like. It's just such a funny, like, switch back and forth. But no, I was really, I, I underlined that sentence to make sure that we talked about it. Uh-huh. I mean, it's in character for Corrin. Is it's it, not... though? Because Corrin seems like the kind of person who would be like, a girl said something to me, I'm still gonna knock you down. <laughs> like... Except that's why he gets into the trouble in Tashban, is like somebody insulted... Queen Susan. Queen Susan. Who was he... his friend and who isn't as good as a man, so... Uh-huh. <laughs> And so he had to go defend her honor and punch everybody out for her. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. He's still a child. What are your thoughts on this, Kristen? I think you're at least as good as a man. Oh, at least. <laughs> at least as good as a man. In what context? In battle? Y- yes. Yeah? I'm at least as good as a man in battle? Uh-huh. What about, like... You've defeated me a few times. <laughs> when we've had battles. No, I don't have the energy for this today. It's too hot. I don't, <laughs> don't want to get into this. All right, so we're not going to... I don't. We'll I, ju- I genuinely... It's too hot for that. Put a bookmark in that and come back to it later. Yeah, if you want to bring that... We could bring it up when we have Rachel on as a guest. Uh, she would probably love to dig into that one with you. Sure, we can do that. Um, anyway... We can, we can talk about all the sexism that we've avoided in this whole book. Uh-huh. We haven't avoided most of it. We've talked about things when they came up. Uh, but we're riding to the battle, and we ride over a mountain pass that takes us into Arkenland. Yep. And in the daytime, without any fog, we notice something. There was a cliff. Yeah. That that Shasta could have fallen down at any point, except that the lion stayed on that side. Uh huh. Probably to protect him from falling off the cliff. Yeah. What is it? What is the deeper symbolism here? Aslan's. Pres- you know, what is the cliff that Aslan's preventing Shasta from going over? A literal physical cliff, Chris. <laughs> the uh, cliff is just a cliff. But the cliff is temptation. What is Shasta tempted by? I mean, at that point, what Shasta was being protected from was ignorance. Ooh. Because, like, Shasta had ignorance of a potential threat. Uh-huh. As he literally crossed over a mountain, he'd never, he had no idea where he was going. Yeah. It'll get somewhere, is what he said, basically. And so he's just wandering, mm-hmm. and the lion is protecting him. Aslan has protected him, and it's his own ignorance. He doesn't know his path, he doesn't know his direction. Like, Aslan is basically taking him to bring Narnian forces back. Yeah. And basically using him as a pawn within this whole scheme of getting all this information where it needed to be when it was there. Yeah. Without, you know, like using any, you know, magical mirror hermits in the middle of the woods who probably could have given all of this information to somebody at some point. Probably. Um, but. Would have been too easy, though. 
or you know like a, a skilled horseman who actually knew how to use the reins mm-hmm. um, of a horse and guide it um, but that was yeah it's just it's an interesting thing because it is like it's as much Aslan needing Shasta to go and communicate to Narnia as it is Aslan needing to protect Shasta from a danger he doesn't know exists uh-huh. and so I, I mean it's a combination of one influence versus whatever like i don't know yeah um so yeah we we deal with that whole situation we go over the past and then we have a really kind of dark scene for this book where like they they point out the eagle circling overhead and corn's just like yeah they know there's gonna be dead folk to eat soon we have a dark scene (sighs) in this book in which we're introduced to erevis and Quinn as erevis tried to kill herself Oh, I guess so, yeah. This is a really dark <sighs> scene for this book. The birds are circling over the battlefield. Well, this is a... In general, this is a much more kind of visceral The battles. birds work for the bourgeoisie. Yes, they do. Uh, this is a, a much more kind of visceral battle scene uh, and more, I don't want to say realistic, just more detailed battle description than we had in the battle in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, yes, this it is. is. This is much more... Yeah, into because the thick of Lewis it. actually learned how to write at this point. Because at this, <laughs> when he wrote this, he had already written. Um, he when he wrote this, he had already written the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and uh-huh. in that one, there's some battles and things like that. Prince Caspian also battles and things like that, which are much better written and much more uh, interesting than anything uh, battle-wise that happened in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So this is a a culmination of of writing growth that we don't get to see reading them in this order. Yeah. um, Because it's not the order they were written in. But anyway. Yeah. Um, So we we have the, the birds circling overhead. There's the sun, which is setting, and they kind of, you know, they crest to the top of this ridge, and everybody's preparing. You know, the giants are putting on their giant spiked boots, which is pretty metal. Yeah. Uh, like this In is order cr- to just kick, <laughs> kick people with, basically. Yeah. Uh, everybody's, like, throwing cloaks off and, like, tightening up their armor and getting weapons ready. Lucy's going off with the archers. archers. The cats are assembling the jaguars and uh-huh. lions and stuff. Yeah, it, lions and tigers and. Uh, I, I I find it interesting that bears. <laughs> oh my! Thank you. That um, Queen Lucy is going off the archers, and we also have this moment where Corin's like, "Oh, Queen Susan's also a decent archer herself." Yes, but where, she's not as good as a man. Yeah, apparently, um, and that's interesting because um, I guess in a lot of Hollywood or whatnot, there's kind of a. A misconception where like the archers weren't like you know the they're more of a legless aesthetic as opposed to an aragorn aesthetic that big macho man or boromir yeah and there's swinging like... these great swords have you ever tried to pull back a bow that was not a modern compression thing uh, that, that's the point i was getting to you're jumping ahead of me yeah no i'm <laughs> making your point for you uh-huh. <laughs> because i can do it faster no <laughs> Anyway, there's this whole misconception that they weren't, like, the stars of the show or whatever. Uh, but watch, like... Not even just that they weren't the stars of the show, but also that they weren't strong. Like, you were an archer because you were quiet and deft and could sneak among the woods and 
assassinate someone from a distance or whatever. Like, they're more roguey as opposed to, like, barbarian, big, strong man. Which, it's not easy to shoot a bow. It takes some big, strong muscles. Yes. I mean, it also takes big, strong muscles to swing a great sword. So, they're all, they should all be equally buff. Yeah. Um, But apparently, as Kristen is saying, uh, and a point that I wasn't going to make, uh, the... (laughs) The archers are actually the strongest unit uh, in the traditional army, and uh, in a lot of medieval... You mean in physical strength, or yes. as far as just, like, damage-dealing abilities? Uh, physical strength. Oh. Um, and just... in medieval Europe, uh, the archers were almost always the best-paid people in the entire army. Hmm. Like, you'd have, you'd have, you know, knights and lords who were, like, you know, basically nobility, but, like, among the common folk, the archers, that was the job you wanted to have. Because most people just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, this is why so, Robin Hood's such a cool character. Yeah. And so I do find it interesting that, like, Lewis puts the women in with the archers, which is this big, burly group of men. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's the point he's trying to make or if he just wasn't really familiar with how medieval battles worked. But since it's Lewis, I would, would assume probably that say, he was. Yeah. Would assume that he was. But no, we've got. Lucy, who was mm-hmm. given a bow by Aslan, mm-hmm. not Lucy, Susan, who was gifted that bow by Aslan, wasn't she? The bow and the horn? Uh, yes. And then Lucy got the cordial and the knife, knife, the dagger. So she can shank people. Yep. But she's not supposed to use that. She's not supposed to use that. <laughs> Which is why she now has a bow and she rides with the archers. Yeah. But it's also Lewis removing the women from the gritty part of battle by putting Uh them as ranged weapons, whether or not they are with other soldiers, like burly men or whatever, or whether or not they're strong women, he's still removing the women from the battle because battles are ugly places when women fight. Yeah. As we learned in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Apparently. Apparently. Um... Anyway, and so we come into this battle scene where the forces of Prince Rabidash have this giant battering ram that they, you know, made out of a felled tree, and they are trying to take down the gates and the, you know, the walls, well, not the walls, the gates of uh, Anvard, and we have... You know, if they had just skipped Anvard altogether, (laughs) they could have ridden through the night, and no one could have gotten to warn Narnia ahead of them. Yeah. Like, they didn't have to stop at Anvard. Like... Shasta having hidden at the crossroads is proof that they could have just been like, no, not worried about Anvard. We're just going to take our 200 horse and just ride straight to Caraparavel. Which would have made more sense. Except that they would then be cut off from their retreat if any word made it through that they had just walked by, which it would have. So no, I guess it makes sense. They're securing their exit route. Yeah. Otherwise, a, they can't exfil. Okay. Getting a base of operations. And we have the intro to this battle scene uh, being very reminiscent to me, at least, of the Helm's Deep type situation. Oh, see, I was reading this very much like, oh, you mean they're the army led by Gandalf yes, yes. coming up. Yeah, they're coming over the ridge, and it's, you know, instead Ed, of Dawn. And Edmund is, you know, the yeah. white wizard yeah, something coming like up that. over the ridge at Dawn. Yeah. But it's, it's very much like this intro to the Helm's Deep scene where you have the fortress under assault and they're almost through the gates and then, you know, the cavalry comes over the ridge and comes down into, you know, and breaks the lines of the enemy. Yep, like it pulls a, the enemy far enough away yeah. that then King Loon could ride out of the city with yep. his men like the, and sandwich them. Yes, 
like make the, a rabidash sandwich. Yeah. Like this is basically like the same battle. Yeah. Like it's it's and I'm not saying it's like directly lifted because which so Lord of the Rings was originally released in six books, right? Yeah, it was originally written. No, it was originally written as six books, but it would they wouldn't publish it as six. I think uh-huh. so. They they made him group them together. So book one and two were released together and published together as one book. Okay, so book we es- we established previously that this book was released in the same year that Lord of the Rings was released, and the first release volume would have had the Battle of Helm's Deep in it. No, Helm's Deep is in two towers yes but you said one and two were released together that's one and two uh two towers is three and four okay yes okay and the return of the king is five and six okay so yeah maybe lewis got the jump on this and like tolkien just completely or, stole or this tolkien idea was him. talking about his idea for this in their writing group and lewis was like i could do that yeah and I'm sure it's not necessarily a unique idea because I'm sure there are actual battles that have been fought that have gone very similar to this as well. Yeah. Um, but they're all stealing it from you know. Yeah. Just the written. Grendel and. Just the written description was very, interestingly similar to me. Yes. Um, especially because from Shasta's perspective, they're riding in and they crest the hill. Uh-huh. And suddenly can see it, and which from Rabidash's perspective would be them coming, and they're coming from the east, which is the direction that the sun would have risen from. Mm-hmm. Um, look to the east. Yes, look the to the east. The dawn of the third day. On or... the dawn of the third day, <laughs> which, um, yeah, no, like this is very much they're coming in from the east, swooping up over a hill, crusting it, and would have suddenly become visible to the the keep. To the people in Anford, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we have that really epic scene. Um, and, and then the- we just have Shasta getting his sword knocked out of his hand and falling off the horse, and that's it. Yeah, he doesn't really see anything, and this... this- and then let's read that paragraph directed <laughs> directly to the audience, so that the audience is uh, fully aware of their presence outside the book. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'll have it open already, so I'll go ahead and read it, if okay. you'd like me to. But it is no use trying to describe the battle from Shasta's point of view. He understood too little of the fight in general, and even of his own part in it. The best way I can tell you what really happens is, is to take you some miles away to where the Hermit of the Southern March sat grazing into the smooth pool beneath the spreading tree, with Bree and Twin and Erebus beside him. So this is a really interesting moment that I can't think of a parallel to in any other fiction I've read, where the author is just like, See, I could describe this this way, but it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> So I'm going to describe it this other way, and we're going to have what is basically a third-hand account of the events that are happening right now. Yes. Now, but with that said, though, throughout this entire book, the only characters we have followed are Shasta, Bree, Quinn, and Erebus. And in order to describe a battle from the perspective of a child who got knocked off his horse and fell down, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it, he doesn't know what's going on, and he's just trying to not get trampled by horses. Yeah. From his perspective, nothing happened except that he tried to not get trampled by horses. He didn't see the cats come in and take down the horses of the men who were off of them, and then 
he didn't see the way that the giants closed in and kicked and and how he didn't see the way that the battle kept Rabidash and Edmund from each other and the way that King Loon defeated Anradin and all of these different things. Like, yeah. we don't, it, Shasta's not going to see that. And Wish. it would be a complete change of tone and voice for the chapter to have us just suddenly get a third person view of this battle without it involving Erebus and Quinn and Bree, or at least one of them being told information by someone else. Yeah. So it's consistent within this narrative of voice and delivery. Yeah. For the sake of argument, I'm just going to say you could have done this without invoking the magic hermit whatsoever. And what could have happened here was Shasta gets knocked off the horse, sword gets knocked out of his hand. Like we see part of the battle from what he can see, like, you know, horses are running around around him and he's afraid of getting trampled and they don't trample him And, like, people occasionally take swings at him, and he's trying to avoid void spears, and, you know, he, you know, maybe tries to pick up a sword again and doesn't really get anywhere, but we have this very chaotic view of the battle from his perspective, which is shorter, and then later, after the battle, he's just like, oh, suddenly the fighting stopped, and he goes and has a conversation with Corin and Edmund and, like, all the people, and they're, they're telling stories and being like, oh, no, this is what happened from their perspectives. Or better yet, we could have had Erebus, Bree, and Huynh leave the hermit once Erebus felt good enough mm-hmm. and ride off and see the battle from a third perspective. Yeah. And be describing it. Be like, do you see Shasta? Do you see Shasta? Yeah. But none of those things are what we got. Instead, we get, like, old man hermit who does have magical powers. At least he has a magical pool. We've confirmed that now. It is a magical pool. Um and all the things he can see, which we'll touch on a little bit, but he turns into the sports commentator for this battle. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> which um, I w- before before we get into the battle, though, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the magical pool, mm-hmm. and I would like to talk about something that I saw reflected in it <laughs> when I looked into the pool. Ooh, um, is this going to be a new segment in the next book? <laughs> when we look into the pool. Um, this should have been a segment we introduced in The Magician's Nephew. Should have been, yeah. Um, no, okay, so, there, the, the description of this in the, what the hermit is looking into is there, as in a mirror, he could see at certain times what was going on in the streets of cities far further south than Tashban, and what whips were being, and what whips were what putting. ships? The word is ships. No, it's not. Okay. There's a typo in my book. Yep, my head is ships. We're putting into Red Haven. Wow. All right. <laughs> I, I knew it was a typo because of the fact that it was in the remote Seven Isles, but, like, that's a typo in my book. Mm-hmm. That's one of two typos in this chapter because there's another one later on where they left a, a dash in the middle of the name Rabadash that wasn't supposed to be there. Wow. So it says Rabadash, 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 Dash. <laughs> that's his evolved form. <laughs> um, but anyway... So, or what ships were putting into Red Haven in the remote Seven Isles, or what robbers or wild beasts stirred in the great western forest between Lantern Waste and Telmar. So he can see at certain times what's happening in random places all across the lands that we've never even heard of, yeah. which if we had read the books in the right order, we would have at least heard of the Seven Isles. I don't know if we would have heard of Red Haven. Mm-hmm. Specific- I think we did. Yeah, Red Haven is in the Seven Isles, and I think we would have, we, we've been there in a book you haven't read yet. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, 
But then there's also places further south than Tashban, mm-hmm. which we'll never know more about, really, uh, yeah. if I'm a, if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah. anyway, what it says is that Erevis and the horses gazed into it, too. They could see it was a magic pool. Instead of reflecting the trees in the sky, it revealed cloudy and colored shapes moving, always moving in its depths. Mm-hmm. But they could see nothing clearly. And that reflected to me that... Uh, bible verse that's like uh, now i see darkly as in a mirror then we shall see face to face um and just kind of like this separation of knowledge or maybe relationship with the lion or whatever uh-huh. between Erebus and the horses versus the hermit and it makes me want to know even more about who the hermit is and why he's here and what he means and what he symbolizes yeah i want to know more about the hermit because of this sentence mm-hmm. um but they couldn't see nothing clearly yeah um and why does he just yeah but anyway then he becomes the sports uh the hermit had begun speaking like this and gone into his sports commentary go ahead you can pick it up from there um unless you want to actually respond to what i said sorry no the the hermit's the holy spirit obviously um no but aslan's (laughs) the holy spirit when he shows up in the clouds i don't know uh yeah, no, it was it was an interesting scene, and you know we I, it's a shame that we'll never get to find out more about the hermit. I'm ninety nine percent sure because he never shows up in any of the other books. I'd be shocked if he did. Um, you can spoil that, does he? I don't remember. Okay, it would help if you remembered any of these books. <laughs> no, I think that's part of the fun. <laughs> uh huh. It's part of the appeal of this podcast. Uh, so he looks into it, and then he starts doing a play by play of the battle, yep. and being like, since you can't see it. I'm going to tell you. I see one, two, three eagles wheeling in the gap by Stormness' head. Yeah. Uh, and he he kind of has this, like... He also knows a lot of people because he starts going, oh, there's Corridan of Castle Termont and Azru and Chalamash and Algamuth of the Twisted Lip and someone else with a red beard. And Bree's like, oh, that's my old master and Radin. Yeah. Like, he knows everybody except Anne Radden. <laughs> like, Apparently. Why does he? Why is he so intimately familiar with all of these noble soldiers from from Toshban? I don't know. He just, he just, you know, he knows things. He drinks from the pool and he knows things. <laughs> like, that's who the hermit is. Um, and I guess through it, the, uh, the hermit has not necessarily a sarcastic, but kind of a an irreverent distant take on all these things mm-hmm. uh, because there's a couple of times when he's judging Edmund for letting these boys into the battle. Yeah. He's judging Edmund. And when he's judging rabbit Ash and being like, they're trying to knock down the door. Oh, fool that he is. They would, they ought to have ridden back to Toshban as soon as the first attack failed. Oh, they should have spent the night making ladders instead of felling a tree to try to take down the gate. Yeah, his running commentary on this, and then like at some point we see you know Shasta fall, and then all the you know the three friends of his there are just like Ermagerd, is he dead? And the Hermit's just like, how can I tell? There's too much going on. <laughs> How am I supposed to know that? I can sit here and tell you exactly <laughs> how many eagles there are and why they were fools to not make ladders. But, you know, I can't tell. Uh, ah, I've seen the banner now. Also, like, really, was it ever a question? Like, <laughs> Who is that writing in? Who's, who's writing in? I wish the wind would pick up and take that banner so I could... Ah, oh, oh, now I can see it. It's Narnia. <laughs> no. There's a big army with cats and giants coming from Stormness Pass, which is the only path 
to Narnia, and that's the only place it goes. Yep, could be anybody, though. Could be anybody. Who knows? Just, nope. Oh, it's Narnia. (laughs) Do you think it's worth getting into, like, any of the blow-by-blow and how the battle goes itself? Is there anything that can be said here, like... We also, like, doing it this way still didn't save us from having to go back and rehash action of the battle. Because he's like, oh, and now the Calarmines are defeated. Mm Mm-hmm. But then we still come back and Shasta hears everyone laughing and it's not told to him what happens. Mm-hmm. It's told to us, the audience, what happened. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. So Rabidash, by the time he encountered Edmund at the gate, had a hole in the back of his har- hauberk. And when he jumped down, got caught on a thing on the wall and he's just hanging there. So like Shasta runs up and sees that Rabidash is hanging suspended by his shirt on the wall. Mm-hmm. In a, in a hilarious fashion that everyone is laughing at, and he's utterly humiliated. Uh huh. And then Lewis comes in and tells us what happened. No one tells Shasta what happened. Yeah. Shasta, this isn't Shasta being like he must have tried to jump away and fallen down. We also have the moment where it's like, yeah, blah blah. blah. Anyway, continue. Tell us what <laughs> happened. How did we get to this? Um. Yeah, uh, I, I was just going to ask if there's anything in the battle specifically that you want to talk about or if you think any of this is actually important to the storyline because we have this very long, most of this chapter is this description of the battle and like the very overly long description of how it is that Rabidash ended up hung on a wall, which on my book is two whole pages. Yes, it's it being is. Like... It is two whole pages <laughs> of just talking about how Rabidash ended up getting stuck on this wall and we also have to include the fact that a giant took a swing at him and ripped some of his chainmail so that he could get stuck hanging on the wall. Yeah, and just like of the few criticisms of Lewis that I really have, um, just a few. <laughs> the that that honestly is one of them because I feel like, and, and this isn't universal, but I feel like ninety percent of the time Lewis has to over-explain things. <laughs> and he's just like, here, this is this is the thing that happened. But wait, let me tell you how it happened. Which isn't important. And then also, like, the other 10% of the time when you actually do want... Okay, I mean, like, that's the whole point of the magician's nephew was people were like, where's the lamp post come from? And he was like, I'll write a whole book about it for you. Uh Uh-huh. But then, like you said, at the other 10% of the time, it's like, oh... There's a hermit with a pool. Never going to talk about him at all. Yep. It's really fine. Yeah. So, like, there are things that Lewis is just like, okay, this can be a mystery, and, like, the reader can make up their own minds about who or what this is, and then, but they're gonna, it's gonna keep them up at night if they don't know how Rabidash got on that wall. Like, that's a plot (laughs) hole that we need to fill in right now. Yep. And we need to have the whole scene. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. If I was a cynical man, uh, I would say that. I would say that these are the parts of the book, like with Rabidash, that like Lewis was envisioning playing out as he's writing it and being like, I need to go with my train of thought and write down what I'm seeing in my head. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the times where he doesn't do that is like the hermit. He was just like, what if there was a hermit? I don't have a reason for that, so I'm not going to put one down. <laughs> he just needs to be here as a plot device. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but either way, like there's just, um, there's, it's very rare and very hard to, that you find a balance between those two of 
enough mystery to make this an enchanting magical thing mm-hmm. and enough detail to make this an actually followable battle yeah and also like over explaining and taking away all the joy and mystery and intrigue of what's going on like it's a delicate balance it is a very delicate balance it's a very easy balance to mess up and it's a very rare balance to achieve fully like in all areas of a text so I don't know. I feel like this book as a whole has been very balanced on that front up until yeah. this moment. Like, yeah, um, I feel like he did it like that was really balanced when they were when Shasta was stuck among the tombs. Yeah. And there was that fear with the jackals and this dream idea and things like that. But also like, yeah, I feel like that is the level of information and detailing that should have been put into this battle as opposed to how far it went. But at the same time, this is so much better than the way the battle in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was described, where it's like they ride (sighs) up and Aslan jumps at the witch. And it's over. And maybe she's dead? (laughs) Yeah, I I know. I agree here. This is a much better written battle scene with like I... You know, the the whole pincher maneuver with the cats coming up and, like, scaring the horses off and doing that thing. And, like, you know, the Narnian forces distracting Rabidash's forces so that then Loon and his men can come through the gate and catch them between the two sides yeah, and, like, draw great. them in. Like, the whole the whole battle is very well thought out and it's very easily to follow visually in your head as you're reading it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's a, that is a plus. Which is a big deal for me because any kind of fight scenes in books I usually get very lost in. Uh-huh. And then we have the, you know, the giants with their big spiky shoes going around and crushing people, which is, like, very gory for a children's book. <laughs> like, that's a that's a hardcore, hardcore mental image right there. Yep. Um, that would, uh, like, if you... If you fictionalized this book and made a new uh, a movie you know literally following the scenes here this would turn it into at least a hard pg-13 yeah oh yeah <laughs> like, absolutely yeah i mean you could make that pg by not like <laughs> detailing it and just having everybody armoring up but yeah, yeah no it's to, to fully detail that out absolutely Uh but also the thematic elements of erebus trying to kill herself would also push it into a hard pg-13 yeah um, so what does it say here that our main character doesn't really participate in this battle at all? Like this whole thing plays out. This is the climactic battle of the book. Which entirely plays out because of Shasta. Yes. And he's because not- he was able to warn the, the, uh, the Narnias, he, uh, Arkenlanders. He was able to warn the Arkenlanders to shut the gates so uh-huh. that they weren't just overrun. And then he was able to bring the Narnian army by warning them that Rabidash was attacking. Like, 100% of this battle is happening because of the fact that Shasta's there at all. Yeah. And the fact that he's there doesn't do anything for the battle at all, which yeah. is once again just an example of how much of a pawn of Aslan Shasta has been in this entire endeavor. Yeah. And that, like, it is just the fact that he has pursued doing what was noble with the information he got when he got it from Erebus. Mm-hmm. That this has become a... Th- and, like, this information wasn't even Shasta's to begin with. This is Erebus's intel. Uh-huh. Like, she's the one who got this information. She's the one who brought this information. She's the one who communicated this information. And she is the reason that Shasta did this. Because yeah. the lion pushed them together. Yeah. And so it's like... Like, this is all Erevis's intel to begin with, and we've taken her out of this completely and said, nah, this is Shasta's information now. Yeah. We've 
Never mind. <laughs> what were we going to say? No, it's just too hot for me to get into the feminism angle right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm too warm. We're, we're good. We're, no, I just, we'll I, talk more about it in an overall review, but yeah. Yeah, I do think, I mean, it's an interesting comparison to the uh, battle in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe because in that one it is a climactic battle and while it's much uh, worse written, uh, there is, you know, we do have a central focus on the four Pevensey kids and like they each have no, parts. No, we to- don't because Aslan took the girls away <sighs> and the boys fought uh-huh. and then Aslan comes back with the girls riding on their ba- on the backs of the other lions and stuff with him. Yeah. And he comes running in and jumps on the witch and the story is over. Yeah. But they are involved. And Shasta's is just like, No, they're out. not. They're riding on the bench and Aslan very specifically doesn't want them there and tells them okay. that it's a- At least one of the kids is involved. Yeah. I'm just saying, the th- we have four main characters in this book as well. Three of them are listening to an old man describe the battle. One of them gets knocked down at the beginning of the battle and does nothing in it. Okay, you like mean the, like yeah, that there they, was actually yeah. a role for them yes, in the battle? Yes. Okay, sorry. None of them have roles within this battle. I thought you whatsoever. were talking about like the way that it was described, no. and I was like, no. No. <laughs> the way like, it was written is... Yeah, just none of the main characters take part in this in any meaningful way, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Uh, King Egmund, though. Egmund is... Egmund. Egmund. <laughs> uh, King Egmund. King Edmund, though, <laughs> that character, King Edmund, um, he he's valiant and he like tears some stuff up, and like he gets his moment where like before Peter had his whole moment in line the witch in the wardrobe. This is Edmund's turn. He's just in there. He's trading blows with all these Tarkans. He downs a couple of them. Like somebody's head gets chopped off at some point. Like that's yep for uh, some pretty intense stuff. Uh, and then suddenly battle's over. Narnians and Arkenlanders have won. I know we're all shocked that that's the outcome here. I but, mean, uh, I would never have guessed that that would have happened in a Narnia book. Uh, Calarmians got routed. Um, and uh, Edmund's ready to go ahead and just kill Rabidash outright, and uh, King Loon steps in and says, "No, we're gonna basically humiliate him mm-hmm. and take him prisoner." Yeah. Um, what I want to go back once again to talking about the kid's role in the battle, Shasta's role. Uh-huh. And I'd like to point out that this sentence, which I, I struggled to read and struggled to identify a meaning behind and then finally got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Shasta, um, was dreadfully frightened, but it suddenly came into his head. If you funk this, you'll funk every battle all your life, now or never. And then he rides in and gets his sword knocked out of his hand and falls off his horse. Uh-huh. And barely remembers that he has a shield. He funked it. I I mean, did he? <laughs> Does funk mean to run away? Does funk mean to fail? Like, because at the end of this battle, he has done nothing successful in this battle except not die. Yeah. Which, I mean, is fair. That's yeah. a fair success. But, like, the only way he's psyching himself up to this is, like, if you mess this up, you're going to mess up every battle you ever do, now or never. It's like, no, you really don't have to start fighting these battles right now. Like, you don't have to literally ride to war right now. You are a child. Yeah. Like. It's, like, it's it's a very poor line of reasoning when it applies to anything, like, serious. Especially, especially when it's a child. Who still doesn't fight in the battle? Uh-huh. Like, he rides into the battle and does nothing. 
it's like when you're 18 and your first real relationship and you're just like, well, I, if I don't marry this person, I'm never going to get married at all. <laughs> so might as well do it now. Like Aww. it's like that logic doesn't apply to a lot of things that yeah. are in a very intelligent way. True. Um, Anyway, and so Rabidesque and Humiliated, we're obviously going to find more about that out later because the last chapter in the book, spoilers, is titled uh, Rabidesque the Ridiculous. Yes. So obviously we're going to And if you read the back cover of your book, it's there's a major spoiler in it. Don't read it. Okay. I've Don't already read, read it aloud on the podcast. I know. No, I, did, I didn't leave it in. I didn't leave the full content oh, of that okay. on. Because um, it is every every line of the back cover of your book is a spoiler. <laughs> yeah. You didn't catch one of them, and it has to do with that. Okay. Like uh, like those blurbs in some of the Dresden books. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Don't pick up the cover. Um, And then, uh, yeah, Rabbit Ash is carried off. We'll find more about him later. Find out more about him later. Uh, and then Shasta is dragged uh, with Corrin up to, you know, in front of King Loon. And King Loon embraces him, and it's just like, Ermagerd, you're here. You guys look similar. We're going to let you draw conclusions based Could on that. Could anyone argue with me that they are not, what, I don't know. It, 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 we get to the end of the chapter yeah. and Shasta still doesn't yeah. understand that Corin is his twin brother and King Loon is his father. Yep. Like he still doesn't understand. Yep. Everybody's figured this out though. Everybody's cheering the return of the... Everyone's cheering for Shasta's return. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if someday he, you know, I guess... Corin, you know, goes off fighting in some foreign war and, like, King Loon dies and, you know, Shasta gets possession of King. Be called the Return of the King. <laughs> it's uh, the Return of the Prince, at least. Uh -huh. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a long stretch to get there. Gosh. Anyway, so... My brain. It's getting hotter and hotter in this room and it it's is. getting worse. Nope. Anyway, so that's the end of the chapter. Shasta still couldn't understand why everyone stared at him and at Corin, And nor what all the cheering was about. Um, and that's it. We got to the end of the chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I covered everything, so why don't we go ahead and move on to our rewrite section, which is sure, called sure. hashtag... Narnia Chopped and Screwed. And in this one, what we do is we go back through the chapter, find five more sentences, and mm -hmm. change them around, rewrite it into an entirely new narrative. Uh, and, you know... I, I feel like Kristen might be phoning it in for the past few chapters. It's <laughs> <They're>... true. <laughs> true. Not wrong. You're, you're, you, you ever had a really good streak where you come, where you're because coming up with really good Because I was enjoying the activity as a creative effort, like the and... last, it's, it's been a hundred <laughs> degrees. I don't want to do creative <laughs> efforts right now. It's enough for me to read the book. Uh-huh. All right. Um, but I'm going second because I am rewriting a, continuing narrative through all the chapters in this book and i've been reading the previous week along with this week for a total of 10 sentences which takes a little longer some might say twice as long what um my rewrite this week's actually really short but i'd really like what this chapter allowed me to do with it but Kristen, would you like to go ahead and read yours first sure okay while we talk about short rewrites okay i can't stand this waiting about shh said erebus what is it? asked Quinn breathlessly. Cats? said Erebus. Shasta didn't like this at all. <laughs> See, that's funny. That was a good job. You did better on this one. Yep. That's you know, cute. my very short yeah. rewrite. It's a cute little one. Uh, mine is short as well, but we'll go ahead and do last week's first. All right. And here's last week's. 
Your Royal Highness, said Thornbud, drawing him aside, our march today will bring us through the pass and right to your royal father's castle. And I couldn't help hearing your plans. I'd like to see your highness do it, said the dwarf. But he hadn't been thinking of doing so at all, and began to get a most uncomfortable prickly feeling in his spine. It was a longer walk than Shasta wanted at that moment, and his legs had begun to feel very shaky before they came out from the trees onto Bear Hillside. And we'll go ahead and do this week's. What came next surprised Shasta as much as anything that had ever happened to him in his life? By the main, my old master, and Rodden, said Bree. Poor, brave little fool. His sword was knocked clean out of his hand pretty soon. Your tar cans down, Bree. <laughs> Ooh. <sighs> yeah. Things are happening. Uh-huh. You've brought Shasta and Bree back together. I have. Finally. Finally. It's <laughs> been a thing. I got two chapters to wrap up this entire story. It's going to be a rough one. Yeah. But uh, anyway. So since we're running long on time here, why don't we go ahead and jump right into our last segment, which is our review, which we've never actually come up with a decent name for. Next book, that's a goal. This summary. is just Chris's thoughts. Summary and review needs to have names. Maybe the summary can be like looking into the pool. That can be like a, though, apparently there's a character <laughs> named Pool though at some point, so yep. that'll create interesting yep. moments. Yep. Um, anyway, so this is Chris's thoughts, uh, and I reviewed the chapter based on a one to five star system. What uh, are we using this time, Kristen? Uh, heads of tar cans. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's very, very metal of you. Uh, guess we can use that. Um, sure. Species of cats. <laughs> Uh, fallen horses i was i was gonna go with like hungry eagles but oh um, yeah we have one two three <laughs> we can only go up to three though this one's only out when there's a battle afoot <laughs> um anyway this chapter was good i think even <laughs> this chapter's wait for it good uh-huh uh i think even though i don't necessarily love what it did narratively with the whole like hey we're going to take a step back and make the main character not the main character and we're going to tell the whole story from another perspective while i didn't love that i think it was interesting mm-hmm. and it was a it was a different choice and it feels very different than any other chapter we've read in the series thus far yes and so lewis is still doing you know creative and new things at this point which is i can't fault him for um, the battle description, way, way, way better than anything in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, he's definitely improved that in his action scene storytelling. Character development, I feel like we didn't really get a lot of. Like, I feel From like... From anybody, it, no. But I, we do have Bree's moment of realization that his old master is dead. Uh, yes. And I, I feel like we didn't really get to talk about this a whole lot, but I feel like as far as character development goes, Shasta almost takes a step backward here. Uh, because the whole book is, you know, again, sort of his coming of age story. He's becoming more sure of himself, more confident. Like, becoming... And even up to him riding into the battle, we've still built that. If you mess this up, you're going to mess up every battle that you ever have to fight, now and always. Yeah. And then he... Yeah. he gets his sword knocked out of his hand, he's just done. Yep, and so... he's gone, and we don't even come back to him until we've already fully yeah. resolved the battle, and he hears people laughing and wanders towards the giggles. Yeah. So, like, he doesn't really get any, uh, a moment. I feel like this would have been a good time for him to have a climactic moment to, like, prove himself and, like, you know, become a man, as it were. 
uh, or interesting in this chapter and this would have been the time to do it the way and we would have a moment at the end where someone came and told him to clean his sword yeah possibly though i'm i mean even just now talking about it like the perfect way to do that like would have been to capitalize on like this budding like relationship between him and his probably brother corin where like you know they're in the thick of the battle and shasta thinks he's not doing anything and he feels out of his element and you know Corin gets knocked down or something, and he's he's got a sword to his throat, and Shasta has to come in and rescue him. Yeah, like that would have been would have like been a, a great moment. Yeah, a great moment. Yeah. Uh, so, but you can't have your main character killing people in a children's book. Yeah, you know, because Peter didn't kill anybody in the but not <laughs> not on camera. Uh huh. No, I mean, if the wolf counts as a character, I mean, screenshot or it didn't happen. <laughs> Um, no, that's true. Like he does yeah. absolutely kill Fenris just yeah. straight up. Like, yeah. yeah. Who, who is a talking him. animal? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm really disappointed by what didn't happen here. Hmm. But again, it, it wasn't bad. Uh, we kept the action going. I'm going to say three and a half Tarkan heads. Okay. Which... Don't don't ask me how that works. No, <laughs> I won't. Um. Anyway, go ahead. Final thoughts. Um. I don't know. I give it two sons of King Loon. <laughs> Which did we establish how many sons King Loon has? Because like we have we all everybody also, coming ooh, out ooh, of the ooh, castle. When the, when the people are coming out of the castle, we've established a naming system in Arkenland. Uh huh. Where where there's like a. Like you were Dar and Darren. Uh huh. Do you think that Corin is the younger and Shasta is actually named Kor and he's the older? Whoa. 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 I mean, if they're twins, it doesn't really count. Yeah, but. but I mean, like this this naming convention that's been established. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to find it in my book, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a lot did, of time on that. Did but, we establish that all these late named characters are sons of King Loon? Like, dude's got no, a lot of kids, or no, just kinda, we didn't establish uh, that at okay. all. They're just kind of nobles or whatever that are hanging out with him. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. Um, I I can't find it in my book right now. Otherwise, I'm, like I'm I'm searching for it. Anyway, we can we can correct that on the next podcast. Um, yeah, next week, come in and join us for the. Unless Kristen's going to add something here. Darren, and Darren, <sighs> Tran and Cher and Cole with his brother Colin, Colin, <laughs> Colin. His brother Colin. Well, it's right. Colin and his brother. <laughs> Colin, Colin, C-O-L-I-N, it's yeah, Colin, yeah. but like reading it Cole out loud and then Colin, yeah. but like we have Darren, Darren, and then Cole and, Col- and Colin. He had a half-brother named Semi Colin. So if we have Cor, Corin, <laughs> I mean, that would make sense. So maybe Shasta's name was Cor at birth. Do we find out? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Just saying. Um. Well, we got two chapters to do it. Go ahead and... Uh... The next chapter is going to be chapter 14, How Bree Became a Wiser Horse. Oh, Bree's got a moment. The uh, the chapter art for that in my book is Bree rolling on his back. That's something that uh, Narnian horses don't do. No, it's something he's worried Narnian <laughs> horses don't do. Uh-huh. All right. Anyway, in the meantime, if you'd like to uh, send us your own rewrites or your fan art of the bottom uh, ground level of a, what? No, sorry. Underneath a giant's boot. <laughs> the underneath side of a giant's <laughs> boot. Um, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter. You can email us, 
chronicallypodcast at gmail.com is the address for that. And you can also uh, give us money if you want at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast where you can get absolutely nothing in return for giving us money. But hey, we're keeping this podcast advertisement free. So far, so good. Uh I mean, you know, we have that one email asking if we want to advertise on it, but... Speaking of which, apropos of nothing, I was drinking a uh, Mountain Dew Liberty Brew earlier, and mm, (laughs) man, that is refreshing (laughs) and delicious. (laughs) Not spawn, not spawn. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, thanks. Um, Anyway, so don't, uh, in the meantime, we'll see you next week. Don't poison your maid. And uh, grease those oats. See ya. banner so I could oh oh now I can see it it's Narnia (laughs) it seemed to Shasta only a second before a whole line of the enemy were on hassle on hassleback this chapter's wait for it good Uh (laughs) a literal physical (laughs) King Egmond though Egmond is Egmond King Edmund, King Edmund, though, that character, King Edmund, battles work for the bourgeoisie. Yes, they do. Cole with his brother Colin, 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 (laughs) his brother Colin.